You're listening to the Seahawks Insiders. Cam Chancellor comes up and just unloads. Number 31, clean his clock. Getting you ready for Seahawks football every Sunday. Russell has time, fires down the middle. Got his man, Baldwin. He is in. Touchdown, Seahawks. Doug Baldwin again. Powered by Seahawks.com. Hello and welcome to this week's edition of the Seahawks Insider Podcast. I'm Jen Mueller, sideline reporter for the Seahawks, joined by John Boyle from Seahawks.com. Hello, Jen. How are you doing? Hello, John. I'm well. And you know what? It's just the two of us today because Aaron apparently has better things to do getting ready for the holidays. I know. More important than podcasting with us. I know. Especially when we have such a fun podcast coming up. Yeah. You don't know what he's missing. I know. This is going to be the best one ever, and he won't be here. And you know what he won't get to do? Answer this question from me, because it is the holiday time. I am sure that the tree is up, the the packages are all wrapped, the Seahawks are playing on Christmas Eve. You've probably watched your favorite holiday movie at least, I don't know, what, five times by now? Not yet. Well, you know what my wife loves are those Hallmark Channel really cheesy uh, Christmas movies, so we have those on a lot. The most like predictable. Right, your there's, wife there's about five those. plot lines they all follow. <laughs> it's like it's like the businessman or woman who's too focused on their job, and then right, something and happens, then, and they love Christmas. And, or there's the saving a dying business time. genre, some Christmas yeah. winter themed business that's going going under, and somebody saves it <laughs> and finds love. Yeah, it always ends with there's finding always love. Christmas joy and finding love. Right. They're kind of awful, but they're easy to watch. Yeah. See. The truth comes out. It's not actually your wife who likes them. You beg to keep the channel on Hallmark. Yep. Yep. I know how this works. (laughs) Fine. Well, then, here's my question. What is your favorite Christmas movie, and what's your favorite line from your Christmas movie? Um, uh, Actual Christmas movies about Christmas. Hard to beat Christmas Vacation. Of course. Uh, I'm a big fan of Elf. That has a lot of good quotable lines. So give me one, because you're supposed to give me your favorite. I like, it's not really, it's kind of just a throwaway line early in the movie, but when he's leaving and the narwhal says, bye buddy, hope you find your dad. (laughs) That that one makes me laugh every time. Uh, The line that I love from Christmas Vacation, which I watch just nonstop during the the season. There's a lot of really good ones, but I love the neighbors and Julia Louis-Dreyfus and she comes in and she goes, Todd. Why is the floor all wet? Todd goes, I don't know, Margo. But I'll repeat most lines in that movie. You're not going to swear like I did. I, I will not. Okay, that's good. We can only have one person. Be swearing in my making Christmas. Making NASA have to edit. Yeah, oh. I will not be. You know, speaking of Christmas, interesting conversation with K.J. Wright today, who would like to ban Santa from his house. And yeah, at first I, I thought know. that this was like, you know... Uh, Uh, you know, maybe a religious thing, right? You know, we want to focus on baby Jesus in the manger instead of Santa. And he just doesn't want his son to be disappointed when the magic of Santa isn't real. And we all tried to tell him, I don't even have kids, John. I know that this is a bad idea. Yes, it is. You let him enjoy it. And I really hope no, like, five-year-olds are listening to this. But, uh, you know, you let him enjoy it for as long as they can. And Someday they'll find some things out, but why ruin those early years of magic? My daughter's two and a half, and this is the first year she's kind of getting into Christmas, and she's so excited about Santa. Why would you want to take that away from her? Also, you can use it as a bribe. Oh, for sure. I mean, what it's family member or babysitter yeah. hasn't said, you better be good or Santa's not going to exactly. bring you any presents? Yeah. 
Yeah, I think KJ needs to think through this a little well, bit. Well, you know, when his son gets a little older, I think he'll. When he hits those terrible two stages and realizes that anything you can do to get leverage over your child is yeah. worth it. Well, yeah. Yeah, I just, like, KJ was a little bit of a Scrooge. Yeah, a little which bit. Which is a little surprising. But the good news about KJ is he is expected to play on Sunday, and that's going to make a huge difference. And that, I think, was the most exciting thing, was hearing him talk because he's relevant in the game because he's no longer dealing with a concussion that kept him out last week. Yeah, and the thing is, if, if it were just KJ or just Bobby, you feel like this defense could maybe survive it, but when you've got both of them out for half the game in Jacksonville and then Bobby played, but he wasn't right last week, we could see that, and he didn't finish the game. I don't care how deep your good your depth is. That's I mean that's two of the best linebackers in football. You can't play without both of them. And getting it seems like Bobby Wagner's getting healthier this week, and KJ's back, and he's clear and ready to go. I think we're going to see a much much improved performance from the defense. You know, I'm curious, and it's interesting because Dave Wyman, one of our broadcast partners, has talked about this. And as a former linebacker, he sees things a little bit differently than. Most like people he understands watching the, the game a lot yeah. better than well, us. Well, you know, I didn't want to go that yeah. far, but yes, he, he sees it differently. And I'm curious. You know, one of the comments that he makes is about the risks that the defense will take to make a play. And I've always thought about that in terms of Earl Thomas, right? There's mm-hmm. a certain way that that secondary plays and that those safeties play, so that Earl can do what Earl does. I think what we might have seen last week is that those linebackers have a similar mentality. Oh, for sure. Because, you know, they're, a, a lot of their job in the running game is to know which gap is theirs. And then, you know, if, if they just stay back and do their job, maybe you stop a run for a four- or five-yard gain. But sometimes a guy gambles and tries to make that big play. And if he misses, if he gets it wrong, that's how those big runs get out. And one thing Bobby talked about yesterday is – when you've played together for six seasons, you know, you know, you can give a look, you can just recognize what the offense is doing and say, okay, KJ is going to do this because he sees this, I see this, so I compensate this way. The guys who are playing last week just don't have that chemistry. So if one guy is thinking one thing, another guy's thinking another thing, that's how third and 20 touchdown runs happen. Well, and, and that really made the score look the way that it did. It's what makes those yards look the same. Here, I think, is the bigger conversation or question for me. How do you find the balance between allowing those guys to be who they are as a unit? Because this defense has grown up together. And I think everybody recognizes that there's a bit of a changing of the guard happening, right? Whether it's through injuries or age. And Michael Bennett says, look, every year, Teams are going to turn over because this is a business and you're always trying to find somebody who's younger, better, cheaper, that sort of thing. But at what point do you have to reel it back in a little bit and go by the book so that the next man up can actually have some success? Yeah, and Pete Carroll, whenever you talk him about to whenever you ask Pete about run defense, he talks about discipline. That's the first thing he goes to. And there, he's talked about this with Earl in the past, and maybe Mike Bennett too is a guy like this, where you kind of you earn that ability with kind of freelance within certain parameters in the defense. And look, if you're a backup coming in who's never started for the team, you just you don't have that luxury. You just have to do it by the book. So yeah, I don't know, you know, where the balance is in terms of practicing it, where you know maybe Bobby Wagner and KJ Wright have a little more freedom to do something than a Michael Wilhoyd or Terrence Garvin would, but. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it always comes down to doing things, you know, being in the right place, being assignment correct. And 
it's, you know, run defense is not necessarily complicated in terms of what you have to do. It's just being right and then winning your battles. And isn't that what the team pointed to so many times when they were in that incredible run just a few years ago of, you know, holding teams to the fewest rushing yards a game and per carry is it really is doing right longer than everybody else. And this team was doing that for there's a nine week stretch this season where they had the best run defense in the NFL. It was like 3.2 yards a carry. We've talked about this before. No running backs from week four through the Philly game went for more than 54 yards. I mean, they had a really, really good run defense. And then you miss some. It, it was just the perfect storm of your some of your key guys get injured and you're facing two of the best running attacks that you'll see all year. And it, it got them. Yeah, 244 yards is what the Rams put up on the ground against the Seahawks. They were averaging 5.7 yards a carry. That is certainly the most this season by a long shot. In fact, it's the most, I believe, in the Pete Carroll era. allowed by a defense so it's an outlier it's an anomaly and I feel like we pointed these things out throughout the course of the year and you look at the fact that you were missing five pro bowlers on that defense by the end of the game because Bobby was removed from the game to try to get that hamstring a little bit of rest and um, you know you just kind of wonder how much the grind has caught up to them I I personally, and John, you've been around this team just as long as I have. I don't know if it's just about this year or if it's about the last five years where this team has played in more games than anybody, you know, any other team, right? And, And so by the time that these guys finish five years with the Seahawks, they've actually played six years worth of games. Is that part of what we're seeing? Or am I just the one who's <laughs> tired and old and seeing this wrong? Uh, B, no. Uh, I, <laughs> hey, no, only I my husband some... gets to say stuff I, like that and I, get away with it. I think there's something to that that, I mean, it's not just the amount of games, but really high leverage, important, you know, str- they've never had. Not that you ever want to be in this situation, but it's probably a little less mentally taxing if you're you know, a four win team at this point and you're already thinking about where you're gonna go in January on vacation with your family or whatever. So this team has had to be really on top of things for a long time. And yeah, I mean it's been at least two playoff games a year, three playoff games those two Super Bowl years. So it adds up. It takes its toll on you physically. You know, I don't know if that directly correlates to all the injuries, but it's you know, it it's gonna slowly have a cumulative effect and you know this team Doug talked about this we've seen them be resilient a lot and they've they've got to kind of go to the well and do that again but it's going to be tough I would say yeah I would say that it is going to be tough I'm going to circle back around to kind of what that means what the injuries mean some of the the bigger national talk about that in a few minutes but it's going to be tough this week because The Cowboys are in the same position that the Seahawks are when it comes to playoff positioning and playoff chances, and they're getting Ezekiel Elliott back. So all of this talk about stopping the run, will you get your chance with a premier back who has fresh legs? Yeah, and I mean, that's it's going to be a tough challenge. We'll see exactly what they do with him. Maybe they limit him a little bit. They haven't indicated they will, but you never know what six weeks off will do to a guy. But, yeah, fresh legs make a difference this time of year. I mean, guys are beat up, guys are hurting, and you throw a guy in there who's already one of the game's absolute best backs. I mean, this guy was a first-team All-Pro as a rookie, and he's fresh. It is it is a very legit challenge, and we're going to see just how much this run defense can clean up in a week with uh, with those two guys back. Yeah, and Ezekiel Elliott 
and the Cowboys, but particularly Zeke, was a big point of conversation during the press conferences this week. He's really fast for a big guy. He's got a real good burst. Um, and he, and he, in that, the strength allows him to run through tackles. You know, he's a good, good tackle breaker. Uh, but I, I think the, the thing that's most unique is, is his burst for his size. I think the fact he hasn't played in six weeks is a factor one way or the other. I think he'll be really fired up to play football, yeah. I think he's got to be about as hungry as you can get. Is that a wild card, though, not knowing endurance? How we'll see. Put- we'll see. I would think he'll handle it. You know, it sounds like, you know, he did everything he could to, to work out and get in shape and all that. We'll find out. So Ezekiel Elliott comes back. We can only hope that he's a little bit rusty That'd in his nice. first game yeah, back, you know? right? You know, you could be amped up as all get out, but maybe not quite fit in those gaps and, and holes in the run game the way that he would have. It is good that KJ and that Bobby are back. And, and you know, I, I think the other part of this, we've spent a lot of time talking about the defense, is making sure that the offense gives you something to work on. Because I think that wears. When either side of the ball is struggling, or we should say any of the three phases are struggling, which is what happened on Sunday, there was nothing yeah. to pick you up. You know, every time you would try to, you know, get it to the defense or get it to special teams, there was no relief from what was happening the offense needs to do its part in Dallas, too, to take a little bit of pressure off the defense. For sure. I mean, we we talk about how that was you know such an unprecedented, lopsided game. And one of the reasons we haven't seen those games is these, the C, these Seahawks teams have been pretty balanced over the years where, okay, maybe the offense is having a bad day, but the defense keeps you in it. Or maybe it's the rare game where the defense is struggling, the offense keeps you in it, or special teams makes the plays. That was one of the rare games where really all three phases – had some big issues and it that's how games spiral out of control and yeah go back to the offense they look it's it sounds cliche but they just need to stay on schedule better you can't consistently be first and second and 10 plus and you know you get whether it's a false start or a hold or you have a negative run or whatever it is a sack this offense can move the ball pretty darn well when they can just you know get those positive plays and you know when it's third and medium when you get to third down they're a pretty solid offense, but you just you can't, especially you know another great pass rusher coming in. You've got Demarcus Lawrence with thirteen and a half sacks. You can't get into obvious passing situations against those teams. Yeah, the Seahawks are coming off a game in which they ran just fifty-four plays, and to your point of staying on schedule, they had twenty-two downs, twenty-two downs, where they had to go ten or more yards to get a first down. Yeah. You should not have that. That, that is <laughs> a small problem, right? And so the offense, I think, feels a little bit fragile right now because there isn't the balance that we have gotten so used to seeing. And part of staying on schedule, if you're not going to be able to run the ball effectively, it's having some sort of an explosive game because stringing together 10 plays down the field – It's tough to do if you don't have somebody break out. And I'm saying all of this to set up what happened on Sunday, that Tanner McAvoy play on the first drive. Now, Tanner is not the reason the Seahawks lost that game. But a play like that gets magnified when everybody kind of knows, man, that's the thing that we really needed to happen. And it looked like it was going to until it didn't. Yeah, and I mean, as you said, he's not the reason they lost that game. The Rams were on fire in all three phases, they were the better team that day. But, that, I mean, that's a 19, 20-yard gain if he hangs on. You're near midfield. Worst-case scenario, if you don't turn over there, you punt, you make him go a long distance. And the Rams, they did not score on a drive where they had to go the distance to the field. Every single score they had started at the 50 or in. So, 
again, I don't think the outcome of the game changes, but let's say even you don't score on that drive, you punt, you pin them deep, maybe they get a drive, kick a field goal, maybe you get a punt. It is, the game plays out so much differently. The field position's different. And, yeah, I mean, if you're not explosive, it is so hard to sustain drives. And that's, I mean, that's why Pete Carroll, his whole career, has put such an emphasis on explosive plays. I mean, there's numbers that show that, and the reason they use the numbers they do, the 12-plus run, 16-plus passes, there's studies that show it's a, those numbers, you have one of those plays in the drive, it drastically increases the odds of you scoring on that given drive. So, yeah, it's, I, I don't, I don't know how the game would have played out, but I think we would have at least seen a lot closer first half if that went differently. And I think the explosive plays were something that we'd seen the week before in Jacksonville. So a little shocking that they couldn't find whatever that rhythm was that had worked the week before and at least get a couple of those plays. Yeah. I found it interesting since we've touched on the running game and how it hasn't been as consistent as the Seahawks would like. Pete Carroll's comments about Mike Davis this week. Well, the way he's turned out, he's done well, you know. So some, you know, some, I, I, I don't mind telling you that. You know, I would like to see, see him been in the mix uh, a little earlier because he, he's done well when he's had his chances. Um, but the other guys had their shots too, and they, they, need, they deserve their shots because they worked hard to get, get those. So Pete's saying that when you have a competition – and you have a competition at running back, you had a couple of guys that you needed to get some reps in there. That was Eddie Lacy and Thomas Rawls, and it was Chris Carson earlier because he was a draft pick that they had high hopes for. Were you surprised to hear him say that he should have gone to Mike Davis a little earlier? Not really, because, I mean, look, in hindsight, Mike Davis has been their most productive back since Chris Carson got hurt, so you can look, it's easy to look back and say, okay, well, maybe he should have got a turn earlier, but it's hard. I mean, Thomas Rawls has a really strong track record from his rookie year. Eddie Lacy's done some good things. So they wanted to get a look at those guys. And for a lot of factors, whether it's injuries, just the way the offense has gone, where they, you know, they've been behind in games maybe more than they'd like this year, and it makes it harder to get a run game going. They just, they never really got a great look at anybody. And Mike Davis, give him a lot of credit. He took advantage of his chance in a way that Thomas Rawls and Eddie Lacy have not. So. You know, right now it looks to be his job. We'll see if Chris Carson does get back, what, what happens with that. But, yeah, I mean, he's been a very pleasant surprise. You don't really expect a guy who's sat on your practice squad half the year to be a big impact difference maker, but he's he's looked great. So with that said, and as we get to our final couple of minutes here on the Seahawks Insider Podcast, here's the, the point that I wanted to come back around to. When we talk about the injuries on defense, the wear and tear of playing in these high-leverage games over the last handful of years under Pete Carroll, and then you start talking about a guy like Mike Davis. The instant reaction after the game on Sunday was, it's all over for the Seahawks. Done. Windows closed. Legion of Boom is done. Forget about it. They're about to go on a slide. Why will that not be the case? I th- Well, A, I think even with all these injuries, there's still a lot of talent on this roster, and it, it looked really bad Sunday, but that's not who this team is. And B, we've heard guys say this, and we've seen over the years, it's a very prideful group. And you talk about guys like Doug Baldwin, Bobby Wagner, Earl Thomas, you know, on and on and on. They're not just going to roll over and give up on this season. It it's hard, and at this point, they hurt themselves that they don't control their own destiny, but there's still a lot to play for, and it's a prideful group. I 
I'm not going to go out and guarantee a victory on Sunday, but I would be stunned if they don't come out looking a hell of a lot better than they did on this past Sunday. Well, and I'm curious. So the Seahawks do have a lot to play for, including the fact that they can get to 10 wins for a sixth straight season. There's only been three teams in the last five years who have amassed 10 wins and made it to the playoffs. It's the Patriots, it's the Seahawks, and the Packers. And we just saw the Packers get eliminated from the playoffs. So this is a hard thing to do. You could get your 10 wins and still stay in part of that elite category. How come people aren't talking about the Packers like this? I mean, I get it. I know. It was Aaron Rodgers. It was a collarbone. But they've suffered as many losses. Why is the natural reaction to jump off the deep end with the Seahawks? Two things. Well, A, I'd say if you're in Green Bay, you probably would be hearing more of this. Uh, and that is a fair point. I am not listening to Green Bay Radio or reading their newspapers. Or their Twitters. But, or their Twitters. But I think when you have a guy that most would agree is the best, if not one of the two best quarterbacks in the NFL, and he misses half a season, this is such a quarterback-driven league. I think people are willing to kind of just forgive all other sins if a quarterback's hurt. You could argue that the amount of defense players the Seahawks have lost could hurt just as much or nearly as much, but people aren't going to do that. And then, you know, why these big storylines? People are looking kind of for the a good, juicy storyline, and when you have this star-side defense that's been together so long and guys are getting older and there's contract stuff coming up, it's it's a, it, look, it's a logical conversation to have. As Michael Bennett said, you touched on this earlier, it's gonna, everything changes every year, and there'll be some changes this year. But, yeah, I just, I'm not ready to write the obituary in this team yet. I, uh, yeah, no, I'm not either. And you know what? You mentioned it. If you've got a good quarterback and certainly one who is in the top five in this year, there's been few who have been as good at, as Russell Wilson has been in a number of these games. This team is going to be in it and be relevant for a long time. That's the thing. If you have if you have the coach, the GM, and the quarterback all working in sync and good at their jobs, you can change a lot of other parts and stay good for a long time. So, yeah. It'll be different next year. It always changes, but I don't think we're seeing an end of an era or anything like that, even if this team misses the playoffs, which you never know. There's still a chance. So you're saying there's a chance. Not a Christmas movie, but a good quote. There you go. Well, thank you for giving me credit for that one. While it's not the end of the era for the Seahawks, it is, in fact, the end of our Seahawks Insider Podcast. We got another one coming your way next week, and hopefully we'll be talking about some juicy storylines like the Seahawks staying in the playoff hunt following their game against the Cowboys. Until then, for John, I'm Jen. Thanks for listening.